Friends, have you ever wondered, what is God's plan for my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? What, what job or, or career should I pursue? Where, where should I live? Should I marry or not? If so, who? You know, I remember anxiously wrestling with many of these questions in my late teenage years, and uh, um, some of you may know that I actually almost became a pharmacist. Uh, I was all set to go to pharmacy school at Purdue U- University, and uh, through a number of circumstances, I began asking that question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, and eventually, by God's grace, he guided me into my calling as a pastor. Uh, and even though Laura and I are younger than some of you, um, we can relate to you parents who have had to guide your children into career and college choices, because we've done that with our two host daughters, Navi and Delight, over the past couple years. Um, and these are really important conversations. They're super important. Um, but I also... I would posit to you, I would submit to you that I think they almost get too much attention in our culture because you're reg- you are all, all the time, you are asked as a child, as a teenager, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? What kind of job do you want to have? We talk about what is your plan for my life? Friends, we're so focused on what we should do. We often neglect who we should become. Let me say that again. We're, f- we're so focused on what we should do that we neglect who we should become. And I believe that's what God cares about the most. No matter what you do with your life, no matter what you do for work or career, God cares about who you are, the kind of person, the kind of character you have. And I would say it this way. God's plan for your life is to become more and more like God. God's plan for your life is for you to become more and more like God. Whoa, that's a whoa statement, right? God wants you to be like him. That's what we're made. That's how we were made. We were made in his image in the garden, right? But sin has marred our lives. But that's why Jesus came, to not only forgive us of our sin, but also to redeem us and restore us so that we could be remade into the image of God, the image of his son. And so now we have his spirit within us we're sanctifying us more and more. So today, as I continue our series, Holy Habits, uh, I want to talk about habit number two, grow continuously. And I'd like to put our, our vision chart up on the screen. Our, our church discern these priorities together. We believe that we have four key priorities. Connect, which we talked about last week. Grow, reach others, and all centered on corporate worship together. These are the fundamentals No good athlete outgrows the fundamentals. Every good coach makes sure the team is reminded of the fundamentals. So I'm trying to channel that. I think every pastor should remind their church of the fundamentals at least once a year. And that's what we're doing in this series. And so last week we discussed habit number one, uh, connect intentionally. Talked about small groups and the, the importance of community. And this week we're focused on spiritual growth and the kind of person God wants us to become. So instead of asking you, what would you like to do when you grow up, I want to ask you, who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be in the future or even right now in this season of your life? Who do you want to be? And we're going to look at, I believe, one of the most significant passages about spiritual growth in the whole Bible. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And I invite you to open up your Bibles if you brought those with you. Uh, or, or your phone, or at home, wherever you have them. Uh, open, up, open up your Bible to Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. 
and it begins in verse 3. Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We'll pause right there. I'm going to make a few, a few points about this passage regarding spiritual growth. And number one is this. God graciously empowers us to be godly. God graciously empowers us to be godly. God's plan for your life is for you to become more and more like God. And you might ask, how could I? How could a sinful person like me become like God? That seems impossible, right? But Peter says, his divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life. This word in the Greek, the divine power, this is the theos dynamaios, the God dynamite inside of you. God's power, his supernatural power has given you everything you need for a godly life. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ inside you. And let let me remind you, Christ in you is stronger than any sin or weakness you have. Christ in you is stronger. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You might say, well, there's just simply no way that I could be like God at all. Well, you would be right if you were only talking about your own power, your own strength. But we're not talking about that. We have, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. As scholar Thomas Schreiner said, he says, only God can make people godly. Only God could do that. And that's what we have, divine power inside us from God. And it says, Peter says, his divine power has been given. In other words, this is a gift from God to you. It is a gift. It is a work of grace from beginning to end. The Christian life is all of grace. If we, and if we notice in ourselves any progress in the spiritual life, if we notice any of these fruits of the Holy Spirit, we should immediately give thanks and praise to God because we know it doesn't come from our power. It comes from His divine power that's at work within you. And there is a tremendous amount of grace available because notice it says, His divine power has given us everything we need. And I, I looked up in my, my Greek dictionary, the word everything means everything. Everything you need for a godly life, everything. You know, I think sometimes the enemy, Satan, he loves to trick us into thinking that we, we can't really grow all that much spiritually. You know, if I just had more knowledge, if I just knew more about the Bible, if I just got my life together a little more, if I, if I just cleaned up these habits in my life, or then I would be ready to grow. Or if I was in a different season of life and I just wasn't so busy, if I didn't have so much going on, then I could devote some time to spiritual growth. See, at the same time, Peter's phrase, it is both a promise and a very convicting statement. His divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life in Christ Jesus. We have everything we need. There is nothing we lack for the life that God intends for us. You know, I recently fixed a closet door in our house, and I have to confess, it's, yeah, thank, I get, see a couple of applause in the back. Thank you so much. I'm very proud of it. And um, yeah, I have to confess, though, that I let this closet door sit in our hallway for about two months. 
It had been sitting there. We, had, we, had, we took it off, and we set, set it in the hallway, and I just let it sit there for two months. And uh, there was no reason. It was, uh, the project took all of 10 minutes, but I, I just didn't get around to it. I even went to the Ace Har- Hardware a couple weeks ago. I bought the part for it, and then I let it sit there again for another couple of weeks, just sitting in the hallway. Finally, the other day, I was like, I just need to do this, so I, I took the part off. It took me 10 minutes. Got it hung up. You know, and I submit to you that this is what we do with the spiritual life in Christ. See, in the project, I had everything I needed. I had, I had my tools. I had, the to- I had the time, even though I, I didn't make the time. I had the time. Um, I even had the part from Ace Hardware. I just didn't do it. I just let it sit. Friends, we have everything we need. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ inside you. You have everything you need to make progress in the Christian life. And not only that, I would submit to you that we have even more than we need. Because Peter said this 2,000 years ago. They didn't have a Bible in their home back then. They didn't have courses and Christian living books and devotionals and, and sermons that's streaming to your home. They didn't have these resources. We have more than we need for making progress in the Christian life. How do they have everything they need back then? Peter says, we have everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Through our knowledge of him. Through our knowledge of Jesus, who calls us to himself, you have all that you need. You have all you need. And just as Jesus called the apostles, he beckons each one of us. Come, follow me. Follow me. Participate in my glory in my goodness. And Peter continues this in verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, we have the great promises of the gospel that we may participate in the divine nature and who God is see, in all the trouble that God went to, to send Jesus to earth, to die, to be raised, and to ascend to heaven, in all that he did, he is aiming at you becoming more and more like God. See, we have these precious promises, Peter says, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. God has a purpose for you to become more and more like him. So God He graciously, by His grace, He empowers us to be godly. That's number one. Number two, God calls us to work hard at continually growing in godliness. God calls us to work hard at continually growing in godliness. Peter continues in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Peter says, for this very reason. Well, what reason? Well, what we just talked about, the fact that God graciously empowers us to be godly by His Spirit. For that reason, make every effort. So we remember that it all starts with grace. It all starts with God doing something for us we can never have done for ourselves. So therefore, we pursue godliness. 
What De- I like what Dallas Willard, Willard says about this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. It's not, grace is not opposed to effort. We're called to make effort. We're called to make uh, effort in the Christian life. And Peter says, make every effort. Apply all diligence. And I just want to ask you a reflective question. What are you putting your most effort into right now? What is getting your most focus? What is getting most of your energy, your time, your attention? Where are you putting that, that focus, that energy, that strength? We are called to apply our best effort at growing in godliness. Make every effort, Peter says, to add. Now that word in the Greek, to add, that's a word it means to equip or to lavishly and generously supply. It's a, it's a word you might use to, to outfit an army with everything that they need. Or perhaps you might throw a wedding and you want your friends and your family to be lavishly supplied with great hospitality and food and drink. Everything provided for. That's the kind of word. Make every effort to lavishly and generously supply your faith with these qualities. I like what William Barclay says about this word. He says, the very word, this word of, of adding, is an encouragement to be content with nothing less than the loveliest and the most splendid life. This is the call we have, a life that looks like Jesus. And it's a journey, Peter says, that starts with faith. Faith. He says, add to your faith, because faith is the foundation. We begin by believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And we begin by believing those great and those precious promises, and we agree that God's plan for our life is to become godly, We need to agree that we have the divine power that has given us everything we need. We agree about these precious promises, but then we don't stop there because even the demons believe. We make every effort to add to our faith, to liberally supply it with all these things. Let me touch on these qualities very briefly. Peter says to add to our faith goodness. That's moral excellence. Knowledge. This is the the Greek word gnosis. It uh, it means uh, practical wisdom, the ability to choose the right course of action in life, knowing how to choose good over evil, but also knowing how to choose between what uh, what is better and what is worse, what is best over what is good, being wise with our choices. Peter says, add to your faith self control, controlling our passions, our impulses, rather than being mastered by them. In fact, our culture emphasizes that we should uh, gratify ourselves, self-gratification. Rather, we should practice self-control. So that's one to especially be diligent about. Peter says, add to your faith endurance, or it can be translated patience. Hebrews 12, uh, 12.1 says, let us run with endurance. This is about steadfastness in times of trial. When you're going through difficulty, when you're going through hardship, This is the quality where you say, you know what, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of the death, but I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to have an endurance. Then Peter mentions godliness. This is the devout practice and appropriate beliefs about God. Kind of piety might be a synonym. And then mutual affection. This is Philadelphia. Brotherly love, family-like love and affection for the believers. And I love that Peter includes this here. That we should grow in affection. We should work hard at being affectionate and family-like toward each other. I think that's wonderful. And then finally, Peter culminates the whole list with love. 
the pinnacle and the most important, the one that binds everything together, to sacrifice for each other, for each other's good. So these are the things, and more, that we are to make every effort to grow in. And Peter's, look at what Peter says in verse 8. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. In other words, there's an expectation of growth, that things will change. See, a, a principle, you know, Ellie talked to, talked to us about the farm. A principle in agricultural life and in the spiritual life is that when you, when you sow the seed, when you do the work, you expect the fruit. You expect the harvest that's supposed to come. In the same way, we have the Holy Spirit. We cooperate with God. We should expect to see growth in increasing measure over time. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. And many of you have followed Jesus for some, some time. And my encouragement to you this morning, what I'm asking of you this morning, is to keep growing all the more. To keep working at it all the more. John Wimber says this, A disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is the willingness to put your hand in his and say, I'm scared to death, but I will go with you. You are the pearl of great price. Christian maturity, becoming a beginner, a beginner again for Jesus Christ. Growing again, making the effort again. Again and again, day after day, I'm going to grow in godliness. I'm going to grow to become like Jesus. I'm going to make the effort. It's a lifelong pursuit, a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson says. Because God's plan for us is to become more and more like him, more and more like God. Finally, number three, growing in godliness leads to a fruitful kingdom life and confirms our salvation. Growing in godliness leads to a fruitful kingdom life and confirms our salvation. Peter continues in verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in this, this part of the passage, Peter is comparing kind of the, the blessings and the dangers about growing in Christ. And I, I think that we can look at this both positively and negatively. And I, I, I made a little chart for us just to kind of look at this. Uh, so on the one side, those who don't pursue growth, Peter says, will be ineffective, unproductive, nearsighted and blind. They neglect their baptism. I'll get that in a, to in a second. They're in danger of stumbling and in danger of not receiving a rich heavenly welcome. Now, on the other hand, those who are pursuing this growth, they will be effective, productive. They will have spiritual sight. They will honor their baptism. They will never stumble, and they will receive a rich heavenly welcome. So Peter says those who are not pursuing this, they will become ineffective and unproductive. Now, this word unproductive, this is the same word that Jesus uses, uses in the parable of the sower about the seeds that become choked out and unproductive by the cares and concerns of this life. And those plants will produce no fruit. 
So Peter says, if you aren't pursuing spiritual growth, you're going to be pursuing something else. You're going to be caught up in the cares and concerns of this life, and, and this life will choke out the good growth, and therefore you will not produce spiritual fruit. And then Peter says, if you're living in such a way that you're, you're being nearsighted, you're being blind, you're living with blinders on, you're, you're living only for this life, take the blinders off, because this life is only a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. And then Peter says that those who live like this, that they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now that's the reference to baptism, the cleansing of their past sins. That's, this, that's the initiation rite into the community of God, this, this holy sacrament, and that those who are not pursuing this growth, they're, they're dishonoring their baptism. But those who are pursuing growth, they honor that sacred sacrament. And Peter says if the spiritual life is a narrow path, then if you're living in such a way where you're not pursuing godliness, you're in danger of stumbling off the path. Now, this is a word that doesn't mean just sin, because we know that even the godliest Christians we know, they will still sin from time to time, of course. So the text does not mean that those who are pursuing growth will never sin. It just means that those who are pursuing this life in Jesus, they're pursuing this growth, they're going to stay on the path. They're going to stay on that narrow path until Jesus comes again or they go home. That's what Peter says, that those who do this can be assured that their salvation is and will be secure. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what Peter is saying is, this fruit of godliness, this is necessary for salvation. It's necessary for salvation. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that we earn it, but the fruit of salvation is expected. It's what Peter says, confirm your calling and your election. It's the same idea where James says, show me your faith by your deeds. Confirm your faith with a life of godliness. So this is not, as Thomas Schreiner says, this is not salvation by works, but salvation with works. These are the works that God, after all, accomplishes in his people. From beginning to end, it's all of grace, and it's all by God's power. God's plan for your life is for you to become more and more like God. I want you to imagine a, a student who is low income who gets a full ride uh, to go to Harvard. And there's absolutely no way that this student could have uh, gone to Harvard or paid for that on their own. And by the way, uh, her books are provided for. Uh, tutoring is available. Room and board have been covered. In fact, uh, her benefactor, she's been through the program herself as well, and she's going to offer mentoring to make sure uh, that she can get through it. She's been given everything she needs, but now she's at Harvard. Now she's in the program, but the work is before her. She must apply herself with all diligence to do the work, and at the end, there will be a wonderful graduation ceremony celebrating her accomplishment and her path at Harvard. Friends, in the same way, you have been given a full ride into the kingdom of God. Our Lord Jesus has given you everything you need for a godly life in Christ Jesus. He's given you divine power. It's, you could have never done, done this on your own. It's all of grace by God. But now you are called to apply yourself with all diligence to make every effort to add to your faith the qualities of godliness. And when you do, at the end of all this, of this life, there will be a great celebration in heaven 
when we finally complete our race, we can say, I've run the race, I fought the faith, and the Lord will welcome us home with a party. That's the Christian life. So God graciously empowers us to be godly. He calls us to work hard at continually growing in godliness. And growing in godliness leads to a fruitful kingdom life and confirms our salvation. So friend, who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to become? How will you pursue growth as as a disciple of Jesus Christ? You are called to make every effort. And I'd like this morning just to invite you specifically to make one effort. I'd like to encourage every person in our church to participate in what we are calling the 90-day challenge. Now, if you are here in person, you'll have received this in your bulletin. Don't worry, those of you at home will make it available online as well. And so what is it? For 90 days, we challenge you to join a covenant group. Covenant group. This goes back to our history as covenant people. Because the early covenanters, they were part of a revival movement uh, where where they gathered with each other to read scripture and to ask each other, where is it written and how goes your walk with Jesus? So they discussed scripture together and they walked with Jesus in community. So a covenant group, it's a group of two to four people, men or women, who covenant together to read our church's Bible reading plan uh, together and to text each other each day something that stood out and then to once a week check in and how is that applying to your walk with Jesus? That's what we want to do. And we would love to see everyone in our church read scripture uh, regularly and to do so with other people. And I believe that if you participate in this, this is just one thing you can do to grow in godliness. And after 90 days, uh, we will celebrate and we will consider how to maybe reform new groups and get more people involved. Now, I know some of you are already doing this. Some of you, uh, we've done challenges like this in the past, and so you've kept that up. Well done. Um, We'd love to know that you're doing that still so that we can count you among us. Um, And some of you, you've been reading the Bible on your your own for years. And you think, well, I don't need this 90-day challenge. I don't need to be a part of it. And I just want to say, well, maybe you don't need it for yourself, but someone in our church needs you. Someone in our church has been desiring to grow and have the habit of reading the Bible, but they're struggling and they need your help. So maybe you want to consider, Lord, I don't need this for myself, but is there someone I could invite? Is there someone who could use my help in forming the habit of engaging God's word? And what can God do with us talking about it in community? So we'll be be launching this 90-day challenge on Ash Wednesday, February uh, 17th. So I encourage you to start praying now Who would you like to do this with? And once you know, for the women, you can contact Emily Langan. For the men, your contact will be John Reimers. That's in your bulletin. And my prayer, friends, is that our church would be known where people are continually challenged and encouraged to grow continuously as disciples of Jesus until he returns or we are called home. God's plan for our life is to become more and more like him. So let's keep going, and let's do it together, can we? Let's be on the journey together.